Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Buddhang Dhammang Sanghang Namasami The question of what's the nature of investigation and how to to best apply that to do that. Uh, this came up a, a few times in the the um, interviews, and uh, I guess during your question time this afternoon that uh, cropped up. So I thought I might uh, begin there this evening. Oftentimes, uh, the um, the quality of thinking, just the process of thinking, is uh, treated like a kind of disease, sort of brain disease, um, in the meditation world. Like this is this kind of infection that we suffer from, and if we could just get rid of it, then everything would be fine. And uh, even though we, we might not articulate it that way, or maybe we, we do. <laughs> um, even if we don't articulate it in that way, um, that can easily be an undercurrent of um, attitude. That uh, if I'm thinking, if there's thinking going on, then it's not a, this is not legal meditation. Then I'm I'm having a bad meditation if there's a thought, and then if there's no thinking, then this is good. And uh, so it's helpful to to kind of change the view on that because. From the Buddhist perspective, just as sound is the the object perceived by the ears and light is the, is the object perceived by the eyes, taste is the object um, perceived by the, the tongue, so thought is the object perceived by the brain. The, the brain is just a, another sense organ um, and what it's designed to perceive is, is thinking, mental activity. It's also unusual insofar as it's also the coordinator of the other five senses. But uh, essentially, um, it's more, most accurate to think of, to regard thought as a, just another uh, sense object. So just as we can be completely lost in something that we hear or, or feel or, or see or taste or touch, or we can be uh, we we can be mindful of it. We can be uh, aware of it. Um, so too, I- exactly the same way with with thinking. That uh, just as there can be um, the mind uh, absorbed into thought and carried away by it, so too that there can be the mind uh, clearly aware of thought um, 
and unconfused by it. The thought actually just um, decorates the, the silence of the mind. So that the, the quality of... Uh, I mean, it's true that, that we are a very thinking culture. We're trained to, to think and our brains are stimulated for 10, 15, 20 years of the education process just to begin with. To think, 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 think. And then for dessert, <laughs> think, 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 think some more. And so that the, and thought is praised as, as a being of, of ultimate value and significance. So there is a heavy current of conditioning there. That, uh, but still, um, that notwithstanding, even though that, that uh, tendency is very powerful to believe in thought and to, to um, buy into it, in actuality, uh, it is just another sense object. And we do have the capacity to be able to perceive it with, with clarity, with mindfulness, without confusion. So um, it's, uh, it's very easy to... Uh, if we don't see this, to set up a kind of um, dichotomy between, on the one hand, the mind which is thinking, and on the other hand, the mind which is which is not thinking. So we we, we steer the meditation towards being like a, a praising, a, you know, clear, open space. The mind is is concentrated, you know, uh, you know, bright, not thinking. Good. This is good. This is what I want at last. I do admit, I'm, you know, that uh, when I first came into the monastery, the, the concept that the mind could ever stop thinking was just a, a kind of bad joke, <laughs> because it was a, like a, a fr- I felt very much like a, a friend of ours who was doing a philosophy, a PhD in philosophy at Cambridge University, and after a ten-day retreat, I, you know, I asked him, well, "So, how's how, how's your meditation going, James?" He says, "Oh, it's great. I only think three things at once instead of six. <laughs> so you've got a you know, 100% improvement there uh, and I felt rather like that uh, and I remember it was uh, about, I'd been in the monastery a, a, year, a couple of years um, and uh, we have a, every week we have an all night meditation vigil and I think I'd been up all night and I hadn't rested during the whole day and then we uh, we had a sauna at the monastery that we'd use for, um, it's quite uh, customary in, um, from the time of the Buddha for monasteries to have you know, a sauna, like a, what they call a firehouse. Chantagara has a, there's a health and well-being of the community. And so we'd have a sauna the night after the all-night sitting. So we'd been up all night, up all day, and then in the sauna for a couple of hours, and everyone had left. So, you know, all of my... Um, energetic systems were, were completely exhausted. And so sitting in the, in the saw and everyone had gone and, fi- and I was sitting there um, and finally my mind stopped thinking. It went, everything went very, very quiet and I thought, it stopped. <laughs> wow. And I, in that moment, I realized my entire life, well, my entire conscious lifetime, that the thinking had never actually stopped till that moment. 
So that was very, de- you know, delicious. Like, wow, it can not only can stop, but it did stop. Amazing, incredible, wonderful. And um, so it is pleasant, you know, when it's been going like you know a, a kind of freight train for twenty years. But uh, to exalt that and to praise that as something um, beneficial and, and perfect and pure in itself is is a mistake. And so that it's like seeking the emptiness of, of absence, the, the kind of non-presence of, of thought. It's rather like, if only I didn't have to, to feel or sense or perceive anything, then, then I would be fine. And so even though there can be a quality of relief, that the absence of stimulation, the absence of perception in itself, the absence of thinking in itself is not purity, it's not peace. Um, and uh, it, those of you who have done a lot of concentration practice or put you know, serious effort or, or found the mind coming to a place of not thinking, you might, after the initial sense of, of relief or, or pleasantness, uh, after a certain period of time, there arises a thought, is this it? <laughs> this is pretty boring. <laughs> it's like uh, watching a TV with no program. <laughs> we might sit there criticizing the American TV and its program, but it's a heck of a lot more interesting than watching a blank screen. That's into one of these sort of minimalist um, Andy Warhol type shows. Um, so the, it's we can set up a, a kind of uh, of um, dichotomy uh, between, on the one hand, the mind in the thinking state, and on the other hand, the mind, even if it's not sort of bland, but but just praising that quality of, even if the mind is very very bright and, and joyful. Saying, well, that's a good meditation, and then if, if the mind is thinking, then that's not really meditation at all. So if you find yourself judging things in that way, then, then it's, we need to back off and, and uh, to sort of reconsider, to, um, to look at it differently. So when we talk about investigation, it's helpful to understand that, that this is... Uh, it's not even like a, a sort of a little bit of a compromise with a peaceful mind. It's not like, oh, well, I can keep a peaceful mind and have a little bit of intrusion as well, which is how you might think of it. You know, the, the, the thinking is still really a kind of an intrusion. It, actually, I can tolerate it. I can cope with a little bit, but it actually really would be nice if it wasn't there at all. Even if we, we hold it in that way, then, then it's still a mistake. The... Um, and it's not that I'm praising the chattering mind, even though my, my mouth can chatter <laughs> extensively, but it's just really um, you know, understanding how it all fits together. So if you if you are acquainted with the um, one of the lists, one of the Buddha's multitude of lists called the the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, the Bojanga, the Sutta Bojanga. The first of those is mindfulness. And uh, the second is investigation of Dhamma, uh, Dhamma Vichaya. Then the um, the third is Virya, uh, energy. Uh, then the the fourth is 
piti, which is joy or rapture. Then the next one is pasadi, which is tranquility. And then the sixth one is samadhi, concentration, focus, mental focus, mental collectedness. And then the last one is equanimity, upeka. So uh, there's different ways that these are represented in the teachings, uh, different ways that they're talked about. And sometimes they're, they're listed as, you know, that sati, mindfulness, leads to investigation of dhamma, investigation of dhamma arouses energy, energy leads to joy, joy leads to uh, tranquility, tranquility leads to concentration, etc. So they're kind of a sequence of A, a goes to B, goes to C, goes to C, it goes to D, and so on. But in other situations, they're described as being uh, coexistent. Like uh, that, that when the mind is, is enlightened, when the mind is completely free of, of uh, obstruction, of greed, hatred, and delusion, when uh, there is awakenedness, then all these seven qualities are there. So that there are seven natural attributes of the pure, the pure heart, the pure mind. Just as like with water, you can say that it has fluidity, it has temperature, it has um, a taste, it has color, it has uh, movement. You know, you can you could f- you know, come up with seven different qualities that a that you know a glass of of water has, and they all coexist together. That they they're all they are all factors, but they're all uh, coexisting at the same time. So that that these um, don't exclude each other. So just because the fact that the mind is is tranquil doesn't mean to say that it's not energetic. And just because there is um, equanimity or um, concentration doesn't mean to say that there is uh, the, the, the Dhamma Vijaya, the investigation, sort of switches off. But it's like uh, all of those qualities can coexist. So Dhamma Vijaya, um, investigation of Dhamma, it's like referring to the, the natural intelligence, the, the, the quality of of mind which recognizes pattern, which um, discerns order uh, and uh, the the kind of relatedness of things. It's kind of looking into and seeing what's going on here. What is the what, what's the pattern? What is what is um, the nature of this that's being experienced? So it's a, an innate investigative function that the that the mind possesses. That w- and when it's um, uh, completely free when the mind is completely you know, awake and, and liberated. That that uh, quality of, of investigation, considering, is is you know, still going on. And there's also other other ways, other terms used to describe it. Yoni so manasikara is another um, very closely related term, which means. Literally means the inve- uh, l- uh, going to the root of things, paying attention to the origin of the source, the the root of things. Is uh, sometimes translated as wise consideration or wise reflection. So, the way to um, apply this. So, it's, in a way, it's it's helpful to think of not of investigation as a thing I am doing. But just seeing it as a natural attribute of the mind, when I am not doing anything, when you just Im- you know, just imagine the mind is completely awake and free, it it is investigating on its own. 
that's it's not like uh, so therefore you, you can't really see that that quality of of exploration as an intrusion or as a corruption it's just it's a natural uh, attribute a, uh, aptitude of the of the mind to to do that that that's a function of awareness it it looks for order it explores it investigates it uh, is say um, discerning the relatedness of of the different elements that ex- ex- are there in the experiential field so when we uh say apply investigation or we 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 pick that up it's really just empowering uh, a faculty of mind that already exists so in this way it's not we don't have to think of it as a, a special thing that I'm doing, but just say taking a, a single faculty that we have, like awareness or like loving kindness, and by um, attending to it, by picking it up, by steering it, we we uh, clarify and um, assist that quality in operating. So a way to use investigation um, as two basic pathways. One is just as things come up on their own, so under their own steam, or picking up a particular theme that you want to, to look at. Say there's something in your life that, that you know you don't understand or that, you've, that is, um, uh, is kind of mystifying to you or it's a, a big issue in your life. Um, and so, um, actually, meditation is the very best time to do our thinking <laughs> rather than looking at Oh, now's the time to meditate. Switch it off. You know, if you need to think about something, that the, the it's actually the best time to do it is to when you meditate. <laughs> so the way I work with it, just to give you an example, I mean, different people function differently, but um, to uh, first of all to to sit down and to to focus the mind and, and center the attention as, as fully and completely as possible, relaxing the body and, and uh, the mind, just letting the, uh, the, um, the mind be as still as possible. And so if there's something that you want to investigate, say um, fear of death or, or why um, when certain situation happens we find ourselves very aggressive or why is it that you, uh, we feel that we have a particular obsession, that we have a kind of compulsive desire for, for this or a, a fear of, uh, of that or, or there's a tangled relationship in your life you know, with your spouse or your parent or your child or your, someone at work, you're in a difficult situation at work life, whatever it might be, it can be any, anything to, um, problematic or it can be just some kind of subject of, of the teachings like say dependent origination. I really can't figure out what is this dependent origination? How can it be? You know, how does it work that that uh, ignorance conditions, um, mental formations, volitional formations? What does that mean? So any of those different ways, you can use it for all kinds of things of that nature. So you'd you'd uh, sit down and uh, and then deliberately bring that in to, to awareness. Say, 
Okay, so what is, when I, when I use the word ignorance, what is that? What is ignorance? And as I was describing the other day, you're really just, um, you're not trying to enter into a sort of logical process, but really just like consulting your own wisdom, drawing on your own wisdom. So like you're arousing that, that, uh, that question or that subject and just seeing what arises you know, in response to that. And then that the whole tone of investigation is a very measured and spacious quality. So you, you bring up uh, uh, you know, a subject and you say, okay, what is that about? Bring it to mind. And then what I find is then you'll get a, you know, a, a small kind of train of thought will arise. So, uh, some images or some you know, ideas will appear in response to that. And then because of the, the, the level of concentration and steadiness, then that, that, that train of thought comes to an end as a space. And you say, okay, well, if that's the case, or if, if it's about that, then what does it say about such and such? And then, uh, and then something arises in response to that. You say, oh, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Uh-huh. And then pursuing it in that, that fashion. So just think, seeing if there's a, uh, whatever arises in accordance with that. And just having this sort of rhythmic, um, measured quality. So there's, a, there's thinking going on, but it's, it's thought that's happening within the, the, uh, a spacious medium. And if you find that as soon as you drop something in or you raise a subject, then immediately the mind sort of races off and starts chattering, then you know, okay, <laughs> come back, you know, relax. It's too, it's too charged. You know, and then you you need to to know you've got to have to have a, a much more of a of a firm attention on the tranquility and the the, the pasadi and the uh, samadhi, the tranquility and the concentration that you have to tilt in that direction. But if that's well established, then the investigation you can just let it kind of flow on and on and on, picking up a subject. So sometimes if I have to sort of take part in a conference or I have to, someone's asked me to do a Dhamma talk with a particular theme or I have a, you know, a workshop to do on a particular subject, I'll sit myself down with like a, a legal pad and a pen and, and sit in my, in my kuti and just, uh, sit, and then I'll write down the, the, the title of the workshop or the talk or whatever at the top of the page and then just, clo- you know, and then just read it and you know, close my eyes and then say it to myself. And so it might be something like, um, yeah, uh, say, the Dharma and nature, or um, might be um, the yeah, Buddhist attitude towards death and dying. And then just seeing what what associations get made, things different thoughts will come up, and then I'll just write them down, and then sit there, and then just using that. Um, that situation of the mind in its clearest possible state to draw upon the knowledge, intelligence, you know, associated thinking, and more often than not, you find associations or, or kind of st- or ideas or, or images, patterns emerge that you know that that you wouldn't normally think of or that don't normally kind of form, and so that you're you're uh, thinking actually in the clearest way, but it's not just like a like a, a logical. Uh, you're not sort of uh, driving the thought towards some kind of logical conclusion. You're not looking for an answer, but it's like opening up a, a, 
uh, a kind of casket of um, of jewels just to see what's in there, or maybe it's a casket of rubbish. <laughs> so, and also that the whole quality of it, because you're n- it's not a goal oriented, it's not an end oriented process. So sometimes, when when one does this using investigation, it's like, well, uh, well, what should I do about my sister? And then, then there's this very, very profound silence. <laughs> and then you realize there's nothing to do. And the, whereas, you know, the, in a normal state, you might be sort of, what about this, what about that? And the mind kind of goes off creating options and, thing, and, and gets caught into kind of questioning and doubting. In that, sort of in the, using Dhamma Vijaya or investigation, then it's like what, in a, some situations it might be, there's nothing you can do. But then you know that, you, that, that there's nothing you can do. Or that um, something is not knowable, like Tarani was saying last night. That, that, um, like, so particularly with dependent origination, there are some aspects of it, you know, for literally I had that on, well maybe one day I'll, I'll kind of understand that piece, for like eight or ten years. Seriously. It's like every so often I pick, up, pick it up and think, well how does that work, or what, what, is, what does that mean? And it's just like, not knowable. Right now that the pieces are not there, whereby that is knowable. And you know, you kind of poke, you look at it this way, and look at it that way, and it's just like, no. No reading. <laughs> okay. <laughs> File not found, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and literally, you know, eight or ten years just having one particular sort of theme on hold, and, but you know, and, and then realizing, okay, well, right now that is not knowable. This is in, the, if you want a Pali word for this, this quality, it's called ananya tanyasa mitindriya, the faculty of knowing the unknown. You know that you don't know. And that's actually extremely liberating because it's like there's 99.999% of all things that are knowable in the universe we don't know. So it's just that's the vast majority you can just you know, dump it in that pile, the Ananya Tanyasa Mitindriya heap. So you know, I know that I don't know. Okay, fine. Yeah, plant it there. Let's go back to my point zero 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 one percent. You know, what I call my life and what I what, you know, all the things I know about. But I kind of like to play around in because it makes me feel secure. But. So that. There's a, uh, but having investigated, having using that that dhamma vijaya, it's like it, we realize that we're not incomplete because we haven't figured that out, and so that this is like using investigation as a sort of particular meditational method, and um, it's, and so that the even though the thinking is going on, it's it's actually very very peaceful, and the thought is held just as like. If one is mindful of the visual field, like right now, if I'm not sort of uh, absorbed or irritated or excited about what I'm seeing, it's just here is seeing. It doesn't. The seeing doesn't interrupt the peace of the mind, hearing, feeling. It's just another sense pattern of sense object. That's all. It's not an intrusion. It's not an invasion. There's no. Uh, there's no place for it to land. It's just this. So the thinking is happening within that context of of pure awareness, pure presence. 
So then the other methodology is just applying that reflective process um, as things just arise on their own, just things that pop in. Then it's just, uh, say, holding them, training the mind to, to, to pick them up, to notice them, and to hold them in that same way, to process them in that same uh, reflective way. And, and Ajahn Chah used this a lot. If when you... you, you uh, listen to his accounts of talking about working with his own mind and his own practice, he had like this whole kind of inner uh, yeah, analysis going on the whole time. Well, not the whole time, but a lot of the time. And he would talk about how you know, such and such a thing arose and he thought about it like this and then he, and he, uh, he'd have these, like, these dialogues going on internally. And uh, very actively explore, using thought to explore like when a, a mood would come up, so he'd say, well, what's that about? Or what, um, how am I thinking that? Or if that, I'm thinking that, then what does that mean about this? And, and really picking up and, and working with all of the different, like tracking the different moods and feelings that, that would flow during the course of a day. So it doesn't mean that to, to use investigation, we have to be sort of sitting down in a quiet place with our eyes closed. But it's something that we can very actively be employing throughout the course of a day. Um, so if, say for example, um, you come into the hall and somebody's moved your cushion. <laughs> so then we see, like, um, look at that. You know, I, I come in and, and then you, know, we, you see that your cushion's been moved like, at least four inches. I mean, four whole inches, or even a foot. Someone's moved your cushion and then you you feel this sort of outrage arises. And so then, you know, to reflect reflect on that, it's like, oh, isn't that interesting? Uh, So here I am, and I say, this is my patch. And so suddenly, you know, this is, I'm defending my territory. My territory has been invaded. And why would that? Why would that uh, that emotion be so strong? I mean, a week ago, this wasn't mine. You know, before the retreat began, it wasn't anybody's. This was IMS. You know, it's not. It's not mine. And now, uh, isn't that interesting? Then I, I I find this spot and I call this mine. And then it becomes very precious. And then someone comes along and invades it, and they've invaded my space. How dare they? I want to kill them. <laughs> Because they've invaded my space, and so here I am contemplating homicide, <laughs> at least for a moment, over um, over someone moving my cushion. Isn't that interesting? And what makes it my what made it my space in the first place? So you're actually using this kind of verbal thought to pick up that wave of feeling, and and follow it. Say, well, if I did actually murder this person for moving my cushion, what would that sound like talking to the police officer? (laughs) Or Cindy, she's the most understanding retreat manager. And, you you know, if I go to her office and say, "Um, Cindy, I have to let you know I just murdered one of the other retreatants. (laughs) Well, you know, she did move my cushion, so there's there's mitigating circumstances, but... um, um, yeah, I, I just want, as retreat manager, I thought you ought to know this. And, <laughs> and, I, and I just wonder what the next appropriate thing to do about this situation is. The body's lying there in the hall. And 
I think we ought to do something about um, you know, getting some help carrying it out. You know. <laughs> you know, you can have a lot of fun with this kind of thing. <laughs> or that um, if you, similarly, if you find, um, like we've been talking a lot about self-criticism. So one of the ways that you can, you can use investigation is to say, look at that self-critical urge, let's say. Like when we look at our, in, you know, we, we, we feel ourselves kind of twitching and, and shifting and changing our posture and say, well, that guy next to me, he hasn't moved in the entire week. <laughs> He's absolutely riveted in his samadhi and me, I'm sort of shuffling and shifting like a kind of, uh, you know, an ant on a hot plate, you know. And, and I'm such a useless meditator and, and uh, you know, he looks so noble and you know, her on that side, you know, she's amazing. She never even blinks, you know. Just like totally composed and restrained, and I'm just this agitated, you know, vibrating intrusion on the universe. <laughs> In fact, and then you see, so you see the kind of wave of feeling, like judging yourself against your neighbors, and then you, you know you see that process happening. Like God, I'm such a twitchy, helpless, useless thing. And then to, to um, you, you, you feel that, you, know, you recognize that feeling, you say, I'm pro-, and then, you, then investigation would be, you could pick it up and say, taking it to absurdity. Like, I am probably the most agitated human being on the planet. Yes, I think I am probably the most agitated human being on the planet. It's impossible for, for there to be anyone who's more fidgety and agitated than I am. And these people sitting next to me, not only are they utterly still and serene, they're probably in at least fourth genre, if not seventh or eighth. <laughs> and in fact, everybody in this hall is probably an extraordinarily skilled meditator. They're probably not, I mean, not even soda punters, they're at least you know, once returners or non-returners. There's probably even half a dozen arahants in the place. But, you know, but me, I'm just a, a, like a, an infection. <laughs> that's been sent along to, you know, to see if we can try the patience of these noble and wonderful, totally holy beings. And so you, you pick up the, the mood and you, just, you, you sort of extend it to its logical conclusion and, uh, and you, we begin to see how absurd it is. That's one way of using it. Um, or we can... Um, or with, say, um, desire, desire objects. When you find yourself wanting something, like, um, you know, or like I was saying about stopping thinking, you say, if only I could stop thinking, then I'd be happy. Wouldn't it be nice to just, this thing could just shut up? And then you say, okay, well, if, if you got that result, then if you never thought another thought ever again, then would that guarantee that you would always be happy? I just like just following it through like that. And then, you, and then immediately the heart says, no. <laughs> or like if you find yourself, um, say, uh, being greedy for food. We had a, a wonderful um, menu presented by Taranir last night. <laughs> Popcorn and muffins and Milkshakes and Jody Parlow wrote them down actually. <laughs> Dinner with Taranir. Uh, 
So you find yourself greedy for something, or that you want something that, wow, I could really use a whatever. And if I could just have that, then I'd be happy. That, that. And then you say, okay, and then just to follow it through, like, okay, so that, so to eat a such and such, one of Gloria's glorious muffins. That was her, that was her, the title of her first book, Gloria's glorious muffins. <laughs> Available at bookstores near you. And uh, so you say, if only I had one of Gloria's glorious muffins, <laughs> then I would be happy. And then you say, well, if eating the muffin is happiness, then eating two muffins would be twice the happiness. And then, if the hap- is the happiness in the muffin or is the happiness in me? And then you, you say, well, where is the happiness? And when you actually eat the muffin, where is the satisfaction? How, how long does it last? Where, where is that? Um, or another example they, that um, a friend of mine, uh, a, Tibet, a nun in the Tibetan tradition, would use is saying, well, when a, like a mother and child have been separated from each other, and then they, uh, they meet at the train station, and then uh, the kid comes running off the train, and mom comes running across the platform, and they, they, they hug each other. Great happiness. How wonderful. So, so that then, they, if they then stay, is the happiness of coming together, right? So that the coming together is, is happiness. So then they stay in their hug for a minute, ten minutes, an hour, twelve hours, a day, a week. So that, what's, the, what's the happiness? You know, the, it gets pretty boring after you know, a very short period of time. So that we begin to, to, to use that faculty of exploring and saying, well, that we're, we're taking the, the habitual reactions and judgments, the, the habits of the conditioned mind, and, and, and uh, like opening them up. It's like you know, looking into the implications of, of what we want, what we fear, what we dislike. They're just the Im- impulsive compulsive reactions and, and opinions that we have. So that um, just the way, you know, the way that we judge people, that we, we, we also can see through investigation how we, we limit um, the way that other people are. And when we name someone as, uh, as, a, as a doctor or as a politician or as a, uh, as a friend, as a, um, a relation, just by seeing that, you know, by uh, how we create limitations on each other by the way that we name them. So if we if we notice that we have a like a, a compulsive judgment that you know all Republicans are morons. Say, okay, does that mean so that whenever someone says Republican, I immediately jump into my critical statement, my kind of critical habit patterns. And so it's like a we we, uh, we realize that, that that's happening. So we then you know to to pick it up. And again, you can use a sort of taking it to absurdity. Like when someone says Republican, then you feel this tension in you, and you say, "Does that mean that everyone in the United States of America who voted Republican is therefore a person possessed of no redeeming feature?" 
that if all those who, left, who were voted Republican left the country, this would be a better place. Or if they all keeled over dead, then I would be happy. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But yet in that impulse of when you say, oh, well, you know, she's a Republican, ugh. Or Democrat, or whatever. I mean, or, or, you know, he, you know, he voted for Nader. Oh! <laughs> you know, we create these judgments and then we make them as absolute. So I say, okay, so everyone who voted for Ralph Nader is completely responsible for all of the crimes of George W. Bush. <laughs> or even just saying George, George W. Bush. I mean, what does that do to your mind? <laughs> Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, as, as monastics we don't vote, and also I'm, not, I'm a Brit, so I'm, a, I'm one of the, uh, the, those from the tyranny of whom you escaped, <laughs> and celebrate your independence. But, um, you know, but, but one must bear in mind that, that um, you know, that George W. Bush is not entirely, not, there, not absolutely every aspect of his being, is worthy of criticism. <laughs> there are probably many aspects of his nature that are, are, are uh, quite fine, noble. In fact, he is another living being. You know when you spread meta for all the other living beings and you share the, me- the blessings of your life with all these other living beings? You know, he's one of them. <laughs> you know, and, that, and believe it or not, that the the quality of uh, the actual fundamental nature of his mind is not different from mine or yours. <gasps> you know, the, the the water that he he drank today is the same water. It's the same nature that uh, that uh, the water that comprises our bodies is made from. But yet, you say George. You just say, just say W nowadays. That's enough. You know, this entire le- this poor letter of the alphabet has now suddenly been <laughs> shunted into this de- sort of degraded place because of of our man. So you know, just just say. I mean, isn't it amazing? Just say W, and everyone goes. <laughs> <laughs> that's the yeah. What conditioning does? It's like okay, that's what you need. You, you use that to say, isn't that interesting, this kind of reaction that happens? So that you're, you're using that power of thought and, and intellection, intelligence, to, to, to tease open the reactive patterns and opinions, judgments. And so then when we open them up, then we're allowing that, that our innate wisdom, the kind of that which recognizes the patterns of, of nature and, and the the ordering of things, it allows that to operate. And, and then it says, we recognize, oh, that's, that's going way too far. You know. Yeah, that, uh, or um, it, it kind of reveals to us a much more clearer and complete picture. So when we uh, are you know, outside of a retreat time and we're having to deal with a lot more complexity of... of uh, Perceptions, you know, when you're when you're not you're having bigger decisions to make than you know how many sp- spoonfuls of cereal, and you have to you know 
look after your family or run a business or, or um, deal with traffic on the freeway. And we're having to make dozens of, of decisions a day, some of them very heavily loaded with you know, people's lives and so forth, depending on. And we have to deal with very sort of intense emotions and projections. We have to perform as personalities. Then this developing this quality of reflection, of investigation, as like an ongoing process is incredibly useful. It's like the, a way of sustaining mindfulness. If you think mindfulness is just kind of holding everything under control and then labeling it um, or you know, doing everything in a very deliberate fashion, you know, we're, we're going to suffer enormously because the world is not under control. <laughs> you know, it's, we, we, uh, if we feel that in order to be mindful we have to have this kind of um, sterilized uh, environment to sustain it, then, then we, we really may put ourselves into a very weakened position. We're kind of misunderstanding mindfulness. Now, just as, as Taranio was saying last night, I think what she began with, like this, um, this quality of understanding mindfulness as like mindfulness, the mindful. So it's, it's not a, a, a kind of just a sort of particular attention to a, a detail, but it's really that when the mind is full of the present, full of the moment, as mindfulness um, is really what we're aiming at. And that whether it happens to be full of a, a quiet retreat space or it happens to be full of, uh, of the freeway or it happens to be full of you know, life at, at, uh, at the office or negotiating the aisles at Safeways, dealing with you know, six kinds of option paralysis, that um, that's what it's full of, and that the, the, the heart can be open to that. And developing this quality of investigation is one of the ways that we can keep like a, a track, really keep attuned to what's going on, what we're experiencing, the, the flow of mood and feeling, the flow of, of perception, what's going on inside us. That... Um, just say you know that you're coming out of a retreat and then you and you go into safe ways, and I do know people who have, have actually been paralyzed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eighty-four thousand kinds of bread, and uh, twenty-five kinds of mayonnaise, and you know, there's the. Uh, Oh, and then, but then using in the investigative qualities, like, okay, well, here I am. Uh, this is the experience of, of being hit by safe ways. And it's like this, you know, that because of, you know, of the mind being suddenly zapped by all these you know, colors and forms and promises, these different products, then the system gets overloaded. So it feels like this, you know, that. You know, because I've come, I, I've you know, come in here and taken these perceptions on, and this effect happens. You know, it's just it's just natural. Uh, or just just tracking that feeling of of um, of being overwhelmed. Like, oh, this is a feeling of being overwhelmed. It's like this. That, uh, and then you're so you're picking up and and like um, processing, digesting, using the thinking faculty. To uh, to work with and to notice what's going on inside us, so that even though there there might be a, a, an intensity or it might be very agitated or active, just that stepping back and, and, and noticing, oh, this is the this is what it, agitation feels like. This is the 
the kind of frenzy on the freeway. It feels like this. That, you know, if you're in a car and you're driving and, and it's sort of rush hour and on the freeway, then this is the feeling of it. You know, if I wasn't on the freeway, it wouldn't feel this way. <laughs> I am on the freeway, so it does. Um, and then in that moment of, of just of, uh, reflecting on it in that way, then the heart recognizes, well, of course, you know, you put yourself on the freeway, this is the result of it. It's just, it's ordinary. It's not an in necessarily an intrusion. Just as if you, you've had a, a busy day, a lot going on, you know, meeting a lot of uh, people or, or traveling and, and having to process a whole bunch of different experiences, you sit down to meditate in the evening, what's going to be there? Big surprise. You know, it's the resonances of the day. It's, it's like, you know, you, how long after the, the ringing of the bell do, does the resonance keep going? You know, if you had the whole day, Then you get home and say, okay, now it's time to meditate. Well, of course, you know, your bell's been rung all <laughs> hour after hour. So, big surprise, there at the, at the end of the day, there's some resonance. So it's like, oh, well, this is the, the after effect of the day. You know, you receive these kind of stimu stimulation, and so therefore it resonates. So, a few well-placed reflections... A couple of well-placed thoughts can save you weeks of grief. Because you can say, oh, I can't meditate, this is terrible, I've got to quit my job, I've got to go, I've got to go off to the forest, I'm going to get a cabin and hide out in the mountains. And because we're, you know, we're holding that experience as being some sort of something gone wrong with my practice, rather than, well, no, you know, you, if you, if you, the, the, there's nothing wrong with your practice. It's just if you... Mm, uh, if, if you experience that kind of agitation and noise during the day, then there it is, at the end of the day. You don't have to argue with it, you don't have to fight against it. You're just by recognizing that it's a natural result, of it's, it's the effect of certain causes, then we find peace, complete peace, in the attitude towards it. And that, so peace is not, we're not looking for peace in the absence of perception or the absence of, of emotion or mood, but peace is found in the attitude that we have towards it. And that you find that there can be an immense kind of buzz and churning and, and noise going on, uh, either emotionally or physically. Uh, and yet, just, just to, to um, you know, there have been some kind of intense meeting or some kind of family crisis and or some sort of big upsurge. And then... You know, just taking that a moment to to reflect and just to say, "Well, look at that one go," and then it's still going. You know, it hasn't like stopped, but in that moment, it's like, "Oh, this is a thing which is going. This is just a you know a, a mental reaction. It's like this. Oh, that's all. Like, oh, well, of course, you know, if it's this, something like this is set in motion." This is the effect of it. It feels like this. No big deal. And we find that it might still be there, but, but the heart is at peace with it. And that's freedom. That, that's where, we, that's where the, the heart is liberated. Not in, in you know, getting rid of or wiping out all the, the, um, 
the abrasive experiences. I mean, obviously, there's a certain attraction towards you know silence and 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 quietude and and uh, beautiful and, uh, and unaggressive experiences. And we we you know when the op- when the option is there, we can gravitate towards those or cultivate those. I mean, we we don't hold retreats, yeah, you know, <laughs> in the middle of the freeway, you know, because it's not a place that, that is is kind of maximizes the conditions for 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 peace and and you know calm of mind and, and reflection. So, if we want to hold a retreat, we find a quiet place like IMS to do it. But if we make ourselves dependent on this. Like, this is the only way I can be peaceful is go do a 10-day at IMS, and the rest is just, you know, being a wage slave to save up enough money to do the next retreat. And you sort of grit your teeth and tolerate the in-between. Then we've really, it's the, we've wasted the opportunity. We haven't really learned anything useful. We've made, we've, we've turned the, the quietude of a retreat into a, uh, a, a very d- dependent refuge. You know, and it's certainly it's better to have that kind of refuge than none at all. But if we if we set that up in our minds, then we're really not making full use of what the the Buddha Dharma can provide, can can lead us to. The point of a retreat, the usefulness of a retreat, is like a, a five finger exercises for you know, playing a musical instrument. You know, it's like the you, you, you do the exercises, you do the scales. And you learn the tunes, you play them over and over and over and over and over, so that when it t- comes time to sort of to, to improvise and to, to sort of get out there and play, your fingers know where to go. You don't have to think about it. It's not like, oh, I can only, you know, the, the whole point of doing the exercises is to, to do, you know, learn how to perfect scales. <laughs> you might be very, become very, 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 very good at scales, but the point of the scales is to be able to to, to uh, produce music, and so that that's how I see you know retreat time. It's very essential and and very blessed and, and beautiful. But the point is to then to enable to just to learn um, skills that then can uh, help us along in our uh, in the flow of of the experience of living, the, you know, the rest of, of our life, so that we, we, we relate to these times as a, something you know, very you know, pleasant and helpful and supportive, but, it, but it's not like the, the retreat is the real thing. Don't, try not to set that up in your mind, and that uh, the rest is a sort of a, a grim necessity that we tolerate. <laughs> uh, it's really not going to help you. At all to 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 hold it in that way. That um, there are many other skillful means that we can um, use, we can employ, and probably in the next day or two, um, Tan Punadamo and, and Tarani and myself will talk some more about some of those qualities to help sustain that um, meshing of the practice with. You know, more complex um, patterns of experience that we call kind of outside retreat or that weird uh, concept of real life. <laughs> but um, there are many, many ways that we can uh, 
accurately and effectively and validly mesh this this kind of practice with with a much greater complexity of experience and having to to do things go places be someone um, safe it talk <laughs> act engage relate having to be you know involved in all that way that um, you know if we are really understanding and developing mindfulness and learning to to act wisely then you know we we find that whether a situation is is very controlled and and peaceful like this or whether it's very uh, noisy and active and demanding that w- there's still an extraordinary simplicity we still know that we we don't have to have a whole sort of game plan a whole um, uh, script written out for uh, you know every action that we're we're going to perform or um, uh, like a um, a whole repertoire of, of agendas of, of what we you know how we're going to do this and what we want to do about that and when I when I meet with this I'm going to do I'm going to be like this when I meet with that I'm going to be like that that you know strategies for trying to deal with the world without getting disturbed by it. We don't need that. All we need is a one, the one rule of be mindful. <laughs> yeah, and, and trust that, you know, that whatever we meet with, whether it's calm and quiet and still, or whether it's um, turbulent, whether it's exciting, whether it it's demands our responsibility, or whatever, that if, we're, if we train ourselves to trust our own heart, to, to be mindful, that if we really draw upon that in any in any situation we'll know what to do we'll we'll be able to respond to that situation uh if we if we need to to um no matter whether it's a, you know inside a retreat outside a retreat or whatever whether we have to be you know in charge or we have to be um submissive or whether we have to um, take responsibility or, or Get out of the way, or whatever. The heart knows this is, this is the time to, to do this. This is the, the the way to respond to that. So that the the usefulness of this kind of practice is like discovering that quality, learning how to apply it, and trusting it. Just that a responsiveness to each situation, moment by moment. That's the main thing to to be to be learning. And then we use the props like keeping the precepts. Um, investigation, uh, mindfulness of the body, uh, all these kind of explicit sort of practices, they're, they're really just there to support that basic process of, of attending, you know, opening the, the heart to the present moment, being, being fully with that and, and uh, letting, the, letting ourselves respond from that place of, of naturalness and simplicity and uh, unbiasedness. So I will finish there after these thoughts this evening. We'll uh, finish with the sharing of blessings.
21, page 21. Now chant the verses of sharing and aspiration through the goodness that arises from my practice may my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue my mother my father and my relatives the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world. May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, May those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless through the goodness that arises from my practice. And through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease, and all harmful states of mind, until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge, unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord, the Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. The Lord, the perfectly enlightened and blessed one, I render homage to the Buddha, the blessed one. The teaching so completely explained by him, I bow to the Tamma. 
the blessed one's disciples who have practiced well, I bow to the Sangha.